Millions of people are victimized every year by sex trafficking gangs all over the world. It's a truly hideous crime, where its perpetrators dehumanize and intimidate their victims into forced sex work for their profit. Today I'm joined by Jason Cisneros. Jason overcame the adverse environment he grew up in and left a life of crime to inspire others and help the less fortunate. I met Jason back in 2020 when we were working with counter-sex trafficking organizations. I'll be talking to Jason about what led him to become an advocate for traffic victims and the many rescue operations we've worked on over the years. From Storic Media, you're listening to Codename Siren, a true crime podcast with Nina Hobson. So Jason, we obviously met when we worked together on a sex trafficking operation to rescue some young ladies. But before we get into that, I'd like you to just give your background because it's pretty impressive. My story started when I was a kid. Uh, my my mom uh, married a pretty bad guy. Uh, she already had me and, and I was adopted by a guy that was very abusive to her and also very abusive to me. Um, you know, I had 12, 13, 14 broken noses by the time I was 17, at which point he ended up going to prison for attempted murder of me and my mom. That was my upbringing. And, and again, not my story, everybody else's story. Most of the time we do what we know. We do, you know, we, we just carry on with those examples that we've been given in life. And I was no different. I actually went in, uh, I was, I was, uh, I, again, my adopted father was sort of a bad guy, dealt drugs and that kind of thing. And, uh, I learned to fight. So not only did I deal drugs, but I was also a collector because, you know, I learned to fight really, really early and I was a good collector, but you know, my, my son was born and that same exact week when he was born, I was like, I don't want my son to, to grow up in this environment, but I didn't know what to do. Like so many of us, like, it's like, okay, I, I know that this thing that I've been doing is not exactly giving me the, 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 the results that I'm looking for, but I don't know what to do. Right. And, and our environment doesn't, doesn't support us changing, right? It supports us staying the same because we're surrounded by the same people in the same environment. So it, it's not a, uh, there's no like busting out, but I just knew I didn't want what I had for my son. It wasn't even for me. I would have continued doing what I was doing. And, uh, it was that week that I was out and I, I did what was, uh, officially my, um, second to last, uh, drug deal. And I got stabbed in the chest. And I've got a big scar across my chest from that. And, and, um, the moment that my, my, when I was younger and I would get beat up so bad, I would get locked in my room. Um, my grandma always made sure I had a Bible. I was never really religious at the time, but I do remember reading it as a series of stories. And, um, when I read it, uh, that, you know, that when that knife went in my chest at that, at that drug deal, there was this Bible verse that popped into my head and it was the sins of the father born unto the children. And I'm like, whatever, if I survive this, 
I'm, I'm not, my son's out. Like I'm, I'm getting out. My son's not going to live this kind of lifestyle. This is not the way that he's going to be raised and not knowing what to do. I did survive it obviously. And I went to work, got a, a, a job, uh, peeling logs, like hand peeling the bark off of logs for, for houses. I didn't, I didn't have any skill sets. Didn't graduate from high school. Didn't know anybody. Wasn't connected. You know, all, all my friends were criminals or dead. Right. And, um, so I did that and then I got married and, and, uh, my father-in-law at the time gave me a job for, you know, probably two or $3 more an hour, which was three layers underneath of the ground at a mine cleaning out sumps. Right. And <laughs> so I was down there in the dark and the smell and the muck and all that kind of stuff going, I'm not sure I want this for my life either. <laughs> you know, it's, it's an honest living um, you know, I get that, but I'm not going to be able to support a family. I'm not going to be able to, to do anything. And so it entered into my mind and, and through conversations that I needed to learn a trade, right? Cause again, no high school diploma and all, none of that stuff, but I could learn how to do something with my hands. And, uh, that's when I became a journeyman, um, carpet installer and, you know, did that. And, you know, along that way, I figured out that I could sell, uh, you know, first it was floor covering and then. I bought my first business and crashed it. And I bought my second business and crashed it. I had three, three bank bankruptcies, basically back to back. And this is what happens, right? When you try things over and over and over again. And although I had only tried three things, we say this phrase called, I'm going to, I've tried everything, right? I've tried everything. And uh, I certainly hadn't, but you know, at that point in time, like most of us, you get to that and you go, well, I'm just a failure right? everything. My adopted father said about me is true. I don't know what to do. And I fell into a deep depression and it was in that depression where I sort of faced taking my own life because I didn't feel of value to anybody. I didn't have a compelling future. I tried some things. They didn't work. My, my, you know, my marriage didn't work out. There was, you know, I had two kids that now just, I was an embarrassment through a series of events. I ended up um, going to this homeless shelter because I was homeless at the time. I went to this homeless shelter and the guy uh, offered me a Bible and Tony Robbins book. And then, you know, the, the rotten bananas and stuff that they had left over that day for food. But I took that book of Tony's and I read it cover to cover. And I came out with this one thought, which is it's in your moments of decision where your destiny is shaped. And that was a different way of thinking for me in this, in its simplicity, which was I had built a life on blame. I had built it on excuses. I had built it on well, of course I'm the way I am. Look at my adopted father, right? Of course I'm the way that I am. You know, I'm born poor, like whatever the excuse was at the time, it was working really well for me at the time. And, um, it excused me looking in the mirror and saying, it's in my moments of decision. I made all those bad decisions that led to me going and meeting, meeting Tony in a, in a very strange way. I went to work for Tony as one of his top speakers. And then I went out and as chance would have it, when I was leaving uh, Tony Robbins, a friend of mine called me up and said, Hey, in my business, I'm going through something that I know you went through in your first business. Can you come and help me and I'll pay you. And so anyway, so I did that and uh, became a pretty good turnaround specialist, started buying my own companies, turning those around. Fast forward to 2019, I sold for a very nice exit. And about nine years ago, I got introduced to uh, human trafficking by via a movie. And I was still, I still had my companies and all that kind of stuff. And, and I watched this movie and it just broke my heart. 
I couldn't, I couldn't understand, um, how people like I knew this world was evil and that there's evil in it from my childhood and seeing the things that I did when I was a kid, but I could never, it couldn't register with me that people were as a large scale business abducting and raping children for profit and selling them. I, it, I could, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't get right with it. That anger that you get inside of you that you're just, you're so angry and the tears are flowing, but you don't know, like you can't do anything about it. And that's how I felt. And I went, I put, turned on my phone in the morning when the sun came up and I told this story on a Facebook live and, and somebody saw that and said, Hey, Jason, I know you have a, a, a pretty unique background. Um, would you like to go undercover with us on a rescue? And I went and, you know, I was eight years ago. I can't even tell you how many missions and how, you know, I, I don't know. I've lost count, but I've been on a lot of them. Well, I'm going to take you back to some of those places because obviously you, you've said, you know, um, that you were using your past and what you'd experienced as an excuse at the time and for your failings and you got to the point where you couldn't go on any further. But what point do you think you went, thankfully, I had that past experience? Because that's what you're saying. You're not being angry that you were abused by your stepdad or you witnessed horrific things, but what, what was the turning point that you went, you know, the crime part of it was part of my, part of who I am. Yeah. I'll I'll tell you the transition. It was, you know, early in my, in my thirties, I believe it was when, when, um, you know, I was studying cause I wanted to forgive, like that was the path. We're always told, you know, until you, until you forgive somebody, then you're still prisoner to that moment. And, uh, and I was talking to a very important man in my life and he said, Jason, he said that you're still like that even forgiving is sort of like, you know, asking an, an angry woman if she's okay. And she says, I'm fine. Right. Right. <laughs> there's, there's so much more meaning behind the word. I'm fine. There's energy behind it. There's like, I'm fine, but I'm not fine, but I'm not going to tell you I'm fine, but I'm not fine. And, and so I started to research and understand gratitude, right? Gratitude was a much different word and a different meaning for me to say, man, so you're telling me you want me to be grateful for my adopted father and all the crap he put me and my mom went through with. And he goes, what if you were right? That's what he said. What if you were, and he wasn't like, yes, you should, or guilting me into it or trying to teach me some life lesson. He was being a good leader and a good friend to say, why don't you ponder it? Because you can come to the end of a pondering and still believe the same way you did before. There's no risk. And, um, and so when I did ponder it, I looked back and then I looked at my life as it was. And, you know, I was a a good husband. Um, I've never raised a hand in anger to any woman in my life. I spend my life protecting women. I spend my life protecting kids. Like if he wasn't my father, if he wasn't my adopted dad, then who would I be? You know what I mean? I love the fights that I get into. I love the, the fights against bullying. I love the fact that I'm, again, uniquely made and prepared for, for the, the work that I do um, these days. And so I got really genuinely grateful for him. Not a forgiveness. It's like, you know, he shouldn't have done that stuff. He shouldn't have beat me up. He shouldn't have beat my mom up. He shouldn't have done those things. But at the end of the day, he did. And I can't go back and reverse it and undo it. So what did I get that was good out of it? 
you know, and he made me a beast right. in service of, of the bullied, of the less fortunate. And, uh, and I'm so grateful for it. So it was that time frame. It didn't happen, you know, in one like light bulb moment, but it happened over, oh, you know, discovery, curiosity. I don't think we live in a world that is curious enough. But if we got, if the more we get curious about somebody that we have upset with or have a disagreement with or believe completely opposite about, the more we learn and the better well-rounded human being we can be in what I think we should all be. And that's to be people that ease suffering in the world and don't add to the suffering. Like he's dead now. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not, I can't say that I'm super sad about that, but, <laughs> but I wish at some point in time, I could tell him that I, that thank you, you know, thank you for, for building me into the man that I am. It's not what he expected to do. He expected to destroy me, but it didn't. It made me stronger in those broken places. And I stand solidly on those breaks these days. And when you were trying to get out of that world, and we'll talk about where we met shortly, but when you were trying to get out of that world and you were having, you know, you were, you're the type of person from what I know, you're good at whatever you turn your hand to, because that's just who you are. So no doubt you were, you were good when you were in the criminal world. Um, and so how really difficult was it to get out of that world and society to help you out of that world? Were, were there times when it would just been easier to carry on with the drug deals? Oh, it would have been way easier. I mean, like I said, to go from what I was doing and the power that I had and the influence that I had to eight bucks an hour shoveling gunk, you know, three floors down, it, it certainly would have been easier. And I think that that's the challenge is it's always easier doing what we know, whatever that is. And, and that's why they call it a comfort zone. You build this zone and you're comfortable in the way that you're performing. And, and um, you know, and that's where I believe mentors, you know, shows like yours, you know, reaching inside of ourselves and telling, you know, we have to be the leaders in our own lives and saying, you know, what, what's my life meant for? We know what we're passionate about. We know what we're like, if time and money were no issue, we know what we would be doing. And, and it's not sitting around on a beach, right? I mean, that's fun. It'd be like, well, I'm going to do that at least for a month if I had all the time and the money. But, but when you get to the end of that, you're now, you're now useless to society. And I believe that the human condition is to want to make progress. Progress commands or demands conflict, right? And conflict, not for destruction's sake, but conflict for creation's sake. You can't, there can't be something new unless there's a conflict and a, and a, and a uh, meeting of something old and a new idea. There can't be something new without that conflict and that, and that perspective. You know, as I, as I look back over the, the history of my life and, and the, the transitioning, it just became, again, going back to that word, curiosity of what could be created and, you know, my God-given purpose whether it was my environment that created it or whatever it was, when I was a kid getting beat like that, in my heart, I said, I want to create a world, even if it's just my world, I want to create a world that doesn't have abuse in it, right? And, and that, that has somebody that stands up for those that are being abused. And talking of passions, and this brings us on to how we met. So we were actually on a counter-sex trafficking operation, and we just immediately clicked. I mean, it was a tough operation. It was, I, think, I don't think we slept for five days, maybe. 
But one of the things that stood out on that operation was the the way that we all had the same purpose and we didn't care whether it was, of course we care, but whether it was one child that we rescued and or whether it was 50 that were on our list to be rescued. And you hit the nail on the head when you said if we had all the time and the money available, what would our passions be? And I think you and I have the same passions. And um, but, but let's just go back to that operation, the one that... Y- you know, I had to eat peanut butter jelly sandwiches or not. <laughs> you got to, not had to, you got to. You're welcome. <laughs> I mean, that was a very, I mean, it was a big operation. It was, it was done. It was so professional. It was the the people involved in those kind of operations are just dedicated, good people who no one was being paid to be there. Everybody was putting their life on the line to rescue somebody else. And um, I think when you look around that room, and I can't ever explain the feelings that you got when we were all in the room together, knowing that we were now going to all go out separately or in, in your teams, and no one really knew if you would come back or you would come back with the child or the adult that you were looking for. And can you explain what we went through during that time? Well, I can explain it from my perspective. You know, I mean, the 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 team that that I operate with, Pastor Rudy Gonzalez, is one of my heroes in life. You know, Cert Ministries and and the sense of teamwork that you're working with people that aren't being paid, right? That haven't slept in the five days, that haven't ate very very well, that have just as much energy to go through that next door that they did the first door, or to sit and watch a place, or do whatever it is that we do. And I remember very distinctly on the the last day, and and obviously we've only got certain days where we're on an operation, so it's it's not always something that can run indefinitely. And but our particular team, and it was me, you, Brett, and we're the only three I remember. <laughs> and we had gone for the whole of the five days on that particular girl, um, and that we found right at the last moment, and. Um, we found her in the dog cage under the, the desk. And I remember the one thing that really stood out was, and, and I mean, I wouldn't mess with you when you're kitted up and you're going in there because you mean business. And we do mean business because we're, we're getting these kids freedom. But um, how calm. I remember that you were with the, uh, the offender and you and at this point we were waiting for the police to arrive because we've done our job and obviously we're not cops and we then obviously call the cops and they do their thing but i just remember i was with the young girl who was high and uh, i looked over at you and you like fully swap teamed up and uh, i was not going to mess with you ever so i gave you my peanut butter sandwich <laughs> um but um you just how calm you were with that guy, you know, and you weren't, you weren't being any way, what's the word I'm looking for? You weren't putting any anger on him, even though we were all pissed off with the circumstances, the fact that we'd been doing it, the fact they had been a step ahead of us. And you just kept everything really, really calm and collected. And it was like this kind of surreal moment that there we are with a really bad person who's done really bad things, but you were able to just take it down to a level that, you know, just kept it calm for everyone until she got the help she needed. And 
he was taken where he was taken. But I, I do remember looking around going, because it had been so high adrenaline. Chaos. And high adrenaline yeah. when we found that car and it's like, and we were tired and running around and the adrenalines. And, and then suddenly it was, was like, okay, we're doing our job here. We've saved a kid. And I remember that we, the three of us by that point, there was a lot more than the three of us because everyone had joined us, but um, we kind of gave each other a hug and a pat on the back and then was, well, let's go get the next one. Yep. And that to me was, you know, is is kind of the powerful people and Sir, who I've also had the privilege of working with and Rudy and Maddie, um, you know, it's it's just a different experience and it's it's a different skill set and for people to be able to to do that is pretty incredible and to be part of that is pretty incredible and I do get cross I do get cross at times when oh so many people we want to help we want to stop sex trafficking it's so bad it's so bad and I'll say okay well can you help raise funds because we have the skill set we don't need you and but I want to come on an operation okay but it's not about being on the operation. We can do that. We've got the skills. Every guy that was there on that operation, you know, we can do it with our eyes shut. But everyone can be involved. You don't have to be the person holding a gun. You don't have to be blacked out. You can be involved. Every single person can be involved and every single business could provide funding for something to save a life or to stop, in your case, a bullying situation. And I think that operation was the moment that I realized that those people in, in that room at those briefings, no government could afford to pay for that skill set, but every single one wanted to give their time. And we, me and you, were just so privileged to be, are privileged to be part of that. All of the things kind of come together around the idea that somebody's freedom, right, is worth our lives to protect. I believe that, that you know, the call on all of our lives, businesses is where I love, because I think business owners are probably some of the most giving, most, the least appreciated group of human beings on the face of the planet because of the sacrifice and the and the skills that they have to develop and adopt and caring about their employees, caring about their, uh, you know, their communities, caring about their clients, caring about, like, I just think these are some of the most amazing people. And, and when you tell them, you know, for 3,500 bucks, where some of them have spent that on, on a weekend, something of that nature, $3,500 could purchase that child's freedom. It blows them away. They don't know, right? They don't know. There's awareness and then there's action and awareness, you know, to me is worthless. Um, but action is something that you can take, but it's informed action, right? If you're going to hand that $3,500 to somebody or to an organization, you better damn know, damn well know that that's going to be going towards the activities and not building some fancy building with a name on it and funding somebody's senatorial run or, or paying for, you know, um, you know, whatever, whatever the case may be that it's going directly towards that outcome, which is freeing another human being. And I think the more people that hear that, obviously the more passionate they become about uh, being invested in that. Now, the, the challenge in trafficking is, you know, you, you've, you've seen the adoption and, you know, these puppy things that you can donate to on television to alleviate that sense of guilt 
that you have because no, I, you know, I spent, I sent a hundred dollars off and that, that kid's going to eat or whatever it is in trafficking. You can't do any of that, right? There's very little that, you know, because in order for you to get the evidence of a rescue, you have to then re-victimize the victim, you know, and I know pastor Rudy is, is violently against that. And so it's not like it gets advertised. It's not like your $3,500 saved Susie Q from this place and doing this thing you, because then you re-victimize them. Mm. And, uh, and so there's a lot of the thing that I love about, again, with certain and the team that, that we run with is come out and meet us. You know what I mean? Come out and, and have dinner and, you know, there's functions that happen all the time and, you know, just meet people because once you meet them and you see face to face, what's going on, you get the heart of what's going on. And, um, and you can't meet the people that we run with and not understand that they're genuine from their every cell in their body about taking that and doing something good with yeah. it. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of where I, th- you know, I, I think a lot of people want to do a lot of good and they get caught up in with, with how many virtue signaling things that there are that they can participate in with very little, at, you know, risk. They can put a flag up or they can put a, um, you know, some sort of a sign in their yard or whatever it is. And they feel like they're helping and, and that organization or that virtue signal is not actually about actual victims. Trafficking is something of kids that is happening in the millions around the world. And it's something that needs your help. And it's something that needs your interaction, not just your awareness. And you just raised a point, Jason, and one of the moms of one of the girls who'd been rescued, who cert rescued, and it was very touch and go. And the mum gorgeous lady said to me you know the issue now is that we had that on all social media because we wanted to save her so we wanted everyone to say she was missing if you see but now the the backlash is it's still on social media so now when she wants to move on with her life and you put her name into whatever platform it still shows that that's what she's associated with and and even though the rest of her life was going really well and she was she was doing really well and is doing really well that was one of the issues that you know people forget we talk about social media all the time and the the good and the bad and the ugly but you know that's the, that affects someone for the rest of their lives and you know they they're things that we need to change as well not just grabbing them back so complex you know and that's why i mean yes i'm an operator on a team and i do those do that work but I also do work in prevention, you know, funding, you know, letting kids know uh, how to spot uh, and parents and parents and kids, how to spot grooming happening before it happens, how to, and then afterwards, what's the aftercare to be able to lift these people back up. I'm also working on the, on the political front, you know, we're, we're like in Arizona, we got HB 2889 passed, which is, you know, automatic life sentences for traffickers, pedophiles, and child pornography, Right. Those are the places that you have to, it's, it's a wide, it's a wide net and it can be so big and overwhelming. Like when I was in the beginning, I'm like, how do we even, how do we even start? Well, that's the right question, right? Is start. And then it's led me down these paths, the doors that have opened because of this or that or whatever, that now I have, you know, I have the ability to bring influential people into the fight. We have, we can bring Ashton Kutcher into a a big event, which is now eyeballs to millions and millions and, you know, all this kind of stuff to where more people understand, oh, this is a real problem. This is not a political punching bag for, you know, two candidates to fight over. This is a child. It could, could be your child could have been you when you were a child. 
right? And if we don't protect our, our innocent, right, um, our vulnerable and our elderly, then, then we don't deserve to have freedom. We don't, have, we don't deserve to have the opportunities that we do. And re-victimizing these victims, anytime I see a trafficking uh, thing do it, I wasn't as conscious to it until I learned that you know, from Pastor Rudy. Now I'm like, holy hell. Like, I mean, I think they think that they're doing the right thing, but they're destroying that woman or, you know, that young girl for the purposes of raising more money for their organization. And man, it's, you know, it's hard to be mad at people that, that are doing good or think they're doing good, but, but you can see it clear as day when you put your, your true North at serving that, that child, that young girl, that young boy, um, that's been through a horrific experience. You put their outcomes ahead of anything else. Unfortunately, it's rare for someone growing up in such adverse circumstances to break the cycle of abuse. Jason not only overcame his abusive environment, but continues to use his resources and expertise to help victims of sex traffickers to this day. His story is truly an inspirational one. Until next time, I'm Nina Hobson, and this has been Codename Siren. Siren.